Welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. My name is Emily. And I'm Sam. And Sam works for? I work for Deering Banjo Company in Spring Valley, California. Ooh, fantastic. I actually have a Deering Banjo. Oh, really? It's a good time banjo. I bought it at a pawn shop in uh, Covington, Kentucky when I was 17. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, they're That's... they're they're cool little banjos. They uh, yeah. I do a lot of I do a lot of work on those. <laughs> I and it's my understanding it's kind of the entry level banjo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it's like it's it's entry level and it's more expensive than pretty much any other entry level banjo, but it's all made in the U.S. So mm-hmm. we're not like you know it's because mainly the price difference is because we're not outsourcing labor. It's all right here and in uh, the factory here in San Diego. So, yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah. I respect that. I mean, it's, it's not the best banjo in the world, but I'm not the best banjo player. <laughs> I did, however, uh, just potentially pick up a gig playing banjo. So I want the gig. So I'm going to hunker down with that little thing for, right, for a minute. Yeah. I, might, I might, I might have to borrow a nicer banjo for the actual show though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah. they're 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 great like sitting around the house banjos and stuff and we have some artists that use them in a pinch for live shows but you know um it's just kind of funny cuz it you know beyond the good time banjo the quality jumps way way up and so does the price. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know you're talking about the difference between like a you know 4 to 600 dollar banjo and then from there it kind of it kind of jumps up to like 2,500. So Woo. yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Well, American made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk more about American made products uh, in a little bit, but um, you told me that you were drinking some whiskey and I would like to hear more about that. Yeah. So I made myself an old fashioned out oh, of, nice. um, which, you know, that's kind of my go-to home drink. Um, and I don't do anything fancy with mine. I just, it's just a little bit of like sugar and bitters and whiskey with a giant ice cube in it. So, nice. um, but this is a, I'm drinking a single malt whiskey that's made by a local distiller that's just called San Diego distillery. And they are mm. like, they're like a mile and a half from Deering. So I often, I often end up there on Fridays after work. Nice. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's a really good whiskey and it's cool. Cause it's like, I get to support a local business and the guys that work there are, you know, they're it's well, so there's, it's, it's, it's owned and operated by a husband and wife team and they do like, they run the business and do a lot of the distilling and all that kind of stuff. And, um, super cool people. So. Yeah. You know. I love, I love supporting those small businesses and local things. I didn't, uh, do a ton of that growing up. I feel like most of our consumption was, you know, my, my parents tried to support like local family owned Mexican restaurants and things like that. But, um, mm-hmm. we lived in sort of suburb rural to suburban Ohio and, uh, a lot of the smaller places with a few exceptions on they, they honestly sucked. They weren't great. Let's, let's be real about it. Um, Mainville <laughs> pizza was atrocious and uh sorry mainville pizza they don't exist anymore for a reason so it was like applebee's it was that was our Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah so that was kind of sad so as an adult like when people suggest to me or like recommend uh like my my mother-in-law really likes those chain restaurants and uh 
like every time I see them and they say, oh, let's go to the Texas Roadhouse. I'm always like, can we go to like Frisch's or something else, something regional at <laughs> least? Um, I'm not a fan of, of that kind of thing, but um, yeah. I'm not drinking anything tonight. I drank quite a bit yesterday. Um, <laughs> Seattle has something called Seafare, and uh, it's it's capped by a flyover, a 30 minute flyover from the Blue Angels. Okay, and that's pretty cool. So my buddy Justin has a boat at a marina uh, on Lake Washington, and every year they have a big party and invite a bunch of people and it's the first time in a while rick and i my husband rick and i have been able to go it was it was so cool but somebody brought um i guess absolute vodka has a new product called juice Mm -hmm. and it's my understand he the guy said lizzo is the spokesperson and i hope that's true because it's kind of perfect if lizzo's juice you know uh but it knocked me out (laughs) <laughs> it was that in the heat i think being out in the sun yeah yeah like i felt great watching the blue angels and i'm like uh i'm gonna take a nap for an hour <laughs> yeah that sounds awesome though it was it was pretty great uh it was a saturday it was one of the first saturdays in like my recent memory where i didn't open a computer <laughs> and i feel like that's how you define a good day yeah that's nice yeah i agree uh, so if you're listening, you probably noticed that Andrew's not on this week. He really wanted to be uh, on to have to tackle this topic we're going to hit. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't able to. Um, but still, Sam and I are going to get into get into a topic a little bit later. Um, but first, I have a couple new things that I think you might appreciate, Sam. I just got in today. Yeah. I have finally got one of those like little battery powered tuning peg winders. Oh, nice. Are they, are they as awesome as I think they must be? See, I, I don't know. I've been really curious about them. Like I'm, I'm always intrigued by stuff like that, you know, but I've never tried it myself. I just, I do the old school. I do the old school hand winder. <laughs> I, I have a little crank winder thing too with the, um, the, yeah. the wire clippers at the end, mm-hmm. which I need because mm-hmm. all my guitars pretty much have vintage style tuning pegs on them. Oh yeah. Yeah. The one where it goes down inside the shaft. Oh yeah. I love those. Yeah. No, yeah, those are cool. No getting stabby stabbed. And then the strings come off them uh-huh. so quickly. It's real nice. Yeah. I love those. I have, um, I only have one guitar with those. Oh, I guess two. I have like a, I have like a Squire Jaguar that has those tuners. Oh yeah. And um, I'm kind of fixing that one up right now. I'm going to put some like Gretsch Filtertron pickups in there and get it kind of, uh, you know, working with those. But then I also have, let's see, I have a 72 Deluxe Tele reissue that has oh, the yeah. vintage tuners. And I get I get spoiled with them because all my other guitars have like just, you know, normal tuners. And it's, they're so much easier. The vintage ones are so much easier to work with. But you know, I do have a string winding method that doesn't require any clippers. So that's kind of nice, but you know, it's not the same as it's so satisfying for some reason, just sliding that string down mm-hmm. into the, into the oh, tuner. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I had, um, I asked Layla from Tunatone to put it on the guitar she built for me. And she's like, Oh yeah, sure. Sure. No problem. And then she sends me a message. And she's like, how 
does one string this? And uh, I was like, oh, I, I can I'll show you. I took a little video and sent it to her. I'm like, you just have to apply pressure. You just have to consistently apply pressure. And she's like, ah, oh, yeah. yes. So that's really exciting. Also, I want to give a quick shout out to Scott at String Joy. Uh, I just got a couple pairs, sets, I should say, of their strings. And I think I'm going to be putting them on the, a couple of my guitars this week. I'm excited for new strings. Nice. Necessary sometimes. Yeah, I I know I I'm I'm overdue for new strings on. All yeah, of my I was guitars. going to do it. Um, restring a bunch of guitars last weekend, but uh, on Sunday I had a little studio session with a performer called Ghoul Talk, mm-hmm. and I had just been getting mm-hmm. my sound. I'm like, I don't really want to risk changing like the tone of everything by restringing it. <laughs> yeah, that might have been yep. bad, but. <laughs> It was, it was fun. It was good. Studio work is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do a, I do a good yeah, bit I haven't of that, done so. it since I left Nashville uh... and that was mostly my stuff. So oh, yeah. yeah, it's been a long time, but it was really, really fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I like the, I like the creative process of the studio. It's, it's different than live, like live. You can be creative in different ways, but the studio is kind of cool. Cause it's like, it's, it's like just having a, a, a yeah. blank canvas <laughs> and, and you know, like you can just kind of brainstorm and do what you want and figure out things. That totally. Work and, and I got to write and my and own fun. parts, which was amazing. I've most of my playing that I've been doing yeah. live lately has just been very hired gun, even with like the bands mm-hmm. that I've joined. Um, it was, they went to studio and they record the album and then they hired a guitarist, me. And uh, so I'm mm-hmm. still like going in and I can make, I can make adjustments to pretty much anything, but I'm still going in and learning things that someone else did. So it, I've always said that I'm right. a, I'm a great parrot. Like I'm very good at learning things that other people write. So to be able to go in and make mm-hmm. my own mark on someone else's music was just not something I get to do every day. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's fun. I, I, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I do a lot of that too. It's I, I do a lot of like hired gun stuff. You know, I, I'm I mean, Deering banjos is my that's my day job, but I make about I make about half my income doing like nice. teaching and hired gun stuff. <laughs> so and and some session work, you know, but it's it's always really fun, but I, I like it when I get to I like it when I get to kind of create, you know, I, I end up working for a lot of band leaders that are just like they trust my playing enough that, that they're mm-hmm. just like, yeah, do your thing, you know? And, and that's pretty cool. Sometimes I want some instruction though, you know, but you know, sometimes it's nice to kind of have a little bit of a direction from someone, but oh, depends totally. on the situation, I guess. Yeah. Just, I know Andrew's all super duper into improv and I was doing a little bit of, a little bit of that with a friend today, mm-hmm. but I was thinking, you know, I just like, I like being more prepared than I am than I feel right now. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's me. Yeah. So, uh, you, you've mentioned a couple of times that you work at Deering. Uh, what do you do at Deering? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the head of the repairs department. So, um, I mean, it's, I, I'm the only person working in the department. So it's, it's kind of an interesting situation. Um, Deering's a small company, but we're, we're the, we're the biggest, we're the biggest banjo company in the world in terms of, uh, in, in terms of like dedicated 
banjo only companies, you know? Um, so, I mean, I, I do all of the, all of the customer and dealer repairs, warranty and non-warranty for all of our customers and dealers worldwide. Um, all of the customer service, all of the administrative work. Um, and we also, yeah, like I, I work on um, on non-deering banjos as well. So I've gotten to work on a lot of like really cool, like pre-World War II oh, nice. Gibson Master Tones and like like really, really uh, like vintage, early 20s vintage Vega banjos, like old Plectrum banjos and stuff. Um, so it's it's really fun. I mean, that's pretty much what I do there. Um, I've been there wow, for seven years. Awesome. So, but yeah. I mean, that's, you know, aside from music, like playing music, that's pretty much the work that I, that's what I enjoy doing. It's, you know, working on and repairing instruments is something I do in my, in my pastime at home anyway, for mm -hmm. myself, just for fun. So, you know, it was a very natural, uh, it was a very natural career And were you at Carvin choice. before that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I wow. was at Carvin for seven years. Yeah. Yeah, and I was doing a lot of the same stuff there, um, a lot of repairs and stuff. But the main thing I did the most time there was I was the head of the uh, fret and neck department. Um, so I was doing all the refrets and like inlays and building necks and, uh, you know, all that mm -hmm. all that fun stuff. Um, and then also just doing final assembly and electronics and you know, I kind of, the only thing I didn't do at Carvin was like yeah, finish. That's a different thing. And <laughs> Which, yeah, that's very different. You know, I know. And I wish, I wish that I had learned it there. Cause, um, at Deering, we don't do anything really like crazy with finish. Mm -hmm. It's all stain, you know, for the most part. And then it's just clear, Yeah, like clear finishes. Um, but at Carvin, which is Kiesel now, they, they do a lot of crazy custom, like, like burst finishes and all kinds of crazy stuff. And the guys that are doing it there, um, you know, they've, they've been there a long time and they've been there since, well, a lot of them have been there since back when I worked there. And so they've been doing it a long time and they're really good at, it. and I kind of just wish yeah. that I had learned that. <laughs> no, I get that. But, you know, awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, normally this is the part in the episode where we would thank sponsors, uh, don't have any official sponsors this week. Of course, always want to give a shout out to Jennings Guitars. Uh, Chad's great. Um, he's working with Andrew to build Andrew's dream guitar. It's going to be a creamsicle. Uh, I really can't wait to see it. Um, and the other thing I wanted to oh. talk about was uh, Spruce Effects, the Mount Hood pedal. One side, it's a triangle muff with a three band EQ and a presence control. And on the other side, it's the germanium boost boost. And there's two clipping options. Uh, we still have a couple of those left in pink and uh, they're on sale right now at the spruce effects website with the code get offset. So check those out for one ninety nine. I think that's just North of 20% off. Uh, just really would love to sell the last couple of these so we can think about doing some new and more exciting things in the future. So that is my spiel for that. Uh, also, if you're listening, we have Get Offset merch at getoffsetpodcast.com. We have shirts, we have tanks, we have mugs, we have hats. We have the, that hat that Andrew really likes that says, for fuzz sake, 
really proud of that one. <laughs> and I respect that. And I think we're working on getting some new designs in here pretty soon. But uh, check out what we have. Uh, you know, we don't make really any money from this podcast. So it, if you can give us a little assist, uh, that will help us do a lot of cool and fun things like maybe do more video content, uh, maybe get some financial help traveling to things like NAM and Summer NAM and other guitar related events. Uh, last thing, if you don't want to spend 200 bucks. I understand. If you don't want to spend 15 bucks on a shirt. I also understand. But if you want to support the podcast in a way that costs you zero dollars and zero cents, uh, leave us a nice review on iTunes. So uh, if we really like reading the nice reviews, it makes us feel warm inside. Um, I also kind of get a joy a little bit out of reading the negative reviews, but I would prefer to not get the negative reviews on, on the iTunes. Uh, it helps <laughs> us in the ra ratings. Uh, it can attract sponsors. So yes, please indeed do that if you can. Now I'm going to take a break from that long ass spiel um and maybe we can get into the topic sam what do you think cool yeah well, we were really excited good. about this one um and sorry let me just make sure my cat's not doing anything stupid do you have cats <laughs> uh not anymore not anymore um i used to have cats and i miss having cats but we live in an apartment now where it's like an extra Ugh. 50 bucks a month to have them. So, oh, that's sad. Yeah. But, you know, be moving into a house early next year. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll, right, we'll so have be a cat wonderful. again. I hope you get a cat in the house. Yeah. In that order. I do too. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> yeah. mm. She was not do doing anything dumb. So, uh, this week or last week, I guess it would be Gibson got, uh, had another little public relations snafu when a video surfaced of hundreds of firebird X's being rolled over by a tank, which like that, I mean, when you think about it like that, that's pretty heavy metal and you kind of have to respect the technique. Um, but this was with full electronics, hundreds of them. And then a few days later there were some, it looked like ES 335 or just some sort of ES model. Uh, no electronics didn't most of them didn't look completely finished uh being destroyed so snapping the neck off and putting it through the bandsaw and the argument i think that you always hear uh is why don't you give them to kids there are music programs where p kids would love to have slightly off kilter gibson guitars versus you know nothing or some something really cheap and terrible um and I you know my concern is generally that just like wasteful practices are wasteful practices and we need to avoid them. But as someone who actually works in the industry, uh, what do you have to say about what Gibson is doing in the destruction of these instruments? Well, you know what? It's, it's kind of an interesting thing because these aren't the types of things that are usually intended for public consumption, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people just don't realize how standard of a practice it is to destroy instruments that are deemed unsalvageable. 
Um, and so there's a weird thing that happens because I don't know how it works at, at from company to company. I'm sure that the, the standards are going to change in terms of like where they draw the line on what's unsalvageable. But generally speaking, if they gonna, if they're going to have to put more money into it than they would profit to salvage it, they're probably just going to destroy it. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, I've, I've worked, I've worked professionally in the industry for 14 years. And so I've, I've seen and done a whole bunch of that destruction myself. And I like, you know, I can't speak for, I can't speak for Gibson, but I know that in my experience, it's like, there's a certain level of, of, Hey, this doesn't pass quality control. That will just be, you know, it's, it it just gets put into like a, a B stock category or like a demo category where, eh, we might use this as like, you know, a loner guitar for a touring artist that we know just beats the hell out of their instruments Mm or, (laughs) you know, um, and you know, if it's just cosmetic stuff and, you know, maybe, maybe some, some like finish problems or something like that, generally speaking, you know, at at least at the company I work for, that's not the kind of stuff that's going to get destroyed. And we, um, we do donate that stuff to schools and we do donate that stuff to like charity auctions and things like that to be, you know, uh, to be distributed that way. Um, and you know, we, we do a lot of that work. So I know that at Deering anyway, you know, by the time we get to the point where we're going to destroy an instrument, it it's, it's, it's dead enough that like it Mm -hmm. can't even be played, you know? So I think, I think that's something to take into consideration, but I also, I I was a little bit shocked when I saw that video of all the Gibson guitars, because I was like, man, that just seems like a really, really over the top (laughs) way to, to destroy those guitars. I mean, who has a tank laying around? And even if, where did they get that? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, what do you, yeah, I, I don't even know where you're, I, like who came up with that idea? Like, you know, like, Hey, I know we're going to have, we're going to hire these guys to like come and smash our guitars with a, with a giant. Yeah. Backhoe, that would make know? more like, sense to me. But like, yeah, like, like, I don't you, even, that's when you do yeah. 10 beers in. Those are those kinds of, those kinds of uh, <laughs> right. Yahoo-y sorts of decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, who knows how that decision was yeah. made, you know? Uh, I, I don't think that it was the smartest idea for them to, like, allow it to be filmed. Does it have to be filmed for tax purposes if you're going to count it as a loss? You know, I I don't know. Um, we never We never film it. We just, we keep records of everything yeah. that we destroy. Um, and that always seems to be good enough for what we deal with, but Gibson is a much, 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 much larger yeah. company than we yeah. are. So the, the, that kind of stuff tends to change a lot when you get it to It kind that of reminds level. me of back in the, the olden days before digital tracking of album sales. Uh, there were quite a few, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> hit albums that sold very poorly, uh, that just got 
dumped into the ocean like literally like okay so we need to make sure the stock is gone so they just would dump it into you know the hudson river or something (laughs) this is true rock and roll stuff right there yeah Yeah. donny osmond dump it in the river (laughs) man that's that's yeah, crazy. That, there is yeah a lot of really fun stories like that from uh, my music business education, but that was also like some organized crime stuff too. It all kind of mixes together in its own sorts of ways. Oh, I'm sure. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, this album is selling great. There's 20 copies in the warehouse at in the back room at Tower Records. They haven't sold a single one. It finances way to be gone. Oh, they must have been sold. Yes, that's that kind of thing. Um, yep. But I, I mean, I know that Gibson says that those Firebird X's were uh, damaged, that uh, the electronics were dangerous. But hmm. I mean, I don't know. I kind of wonder if that was just on like just stuff they couldn't sell because that was a lot. And I feel like if you if like I know that they yeah. make a lot of guitars, but I also feel like if your waist is that large then you have some serious quality control issues. And we know that about Gibson. So there's also yes. the idea of, so yeah. now Gibson has this reputation of not having great quality control. So mm-hmm. then when they destroy guitars mm-hmm. to make sure that bad quality instruments don't make out to the public, that they then get reamed. Is that kind yeah. of a double standard in your perspective? You know, I I don't I don't know because I I haven't like I mean I've I've certainly noticed over the years that Gibson's quality control was is not the best and um I don't really have I don't really have a problem with Gibson myself. I just I don't own any Gibsons because uh I don't want to pay $3000 for a guitar that in my opinion is about the same quality as I could get, you know, from Fender yeah. for like 1200 yep. bucks, you know, and I'm just, I'm, I mean, and I'm just like, I'm a Fender or Gretsch guy anyway, you know, so Gibson just doesn't appeal to me that much, but looking at it just purely from a quality control perspective, I mean, you look closer to Gibson, it's like they have flat frets, like they're, you know, I've seen Gibsons that were like brand new and the nut was slotted too low. So the high E string was just (laughs) sitting on the first fret, like, you know, stuff like that. And, and so, so I think part of me just kind of thinks, well, maybe they're, you know, I don't know, maybe they're just like trying to, maybe they're trying to turn it around and, and make themselves into a company that's not known for their Mm -hmm. bad quality control, but, but it just seems you know, it, it just seems excessive in my opinion to like, like, I don't understand why. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't I don't understand why they didn't like strip the guitars down. And I mean, I know that they, I know that the, uh, the ES guitar, the, some of the other ones that they destroyed, like mm-hmm. didn't have electronics and stuff in them, but all those Firebird X's, I mean, you know, the way that, um, the, the way that it works at, uh, at Deering and the same thing that we did at Carvin, um, you know, we would, all of the usable parts yeah. would be taken off, you know? Um, and so I don't know, I'm, I'm not actually familiar with the Firebird X. I don't, 
I don't know much about I think it was like a crappy computer um, inside of a guitar situation. So I don't know if those uh, were yeah. usable in other instruments, yeah. but like I don't know how you repurpose the parts. I would have to hope that they're doing something to repurpose those trash bodies, like the wood at least, because we farm right. wood to um, what's extinction, and we replenish. Mm-hmm. We we cannot replenish like these trees that we cut down to make these guitars in bulk in our lifetime. It's just not possible. And I don't know, I'm sure I would hope that Gibson does something to, you know, offset uh, that farmed wood and plants trees and has maybe hopefully Mm -hmm. donated to some environmental causes. That's actually a great thing to ask them. But um, just to see that, and know that Brazilian rosewood used to grow plentifully, and now it's, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> endangered species. Is you know, is this yeah. going to happen to other things? And so that was, for me, sure. that was the the big issue is just knowing that their processes created that much perceived waste. That was the bummer for me because I I you know what. I kind of hate the argument that you should give like janky busted guitars to kids. Like, yeah, if there's cracks in the finish or checking, right. <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. But yeah, don't give them something that's unplayable just because like you don't want to throw it away. Right. Like. Right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, I mean, and you know, uh, I I teach at a at an at an arts academy down here in San Diego, and. Um, <clears throat> I teach guitar and, and ukulele and synth programming. So I deal with all kinds of kids from ages ranging from like, from like six to, to 18, you know? Um, and some of them can't afford good guitars. Um, but one thing that I can tell you consistently is I've noticed that, you know, I kind of hate the beginner guitar market because you go and you buy a beginner guitar. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't play well, you know, and, and, and most people aren't going to really know if they, if they don't have experience with this, a lot of parents aren't going to know, Oh, this is going to need to have a setup done on it and all that kind of stuff before it'll even play. And, and so if they get these like janky guitars, um, the kids end up kind of like not being inspired to play. Like they still want to play maybe, but, Sometimes they give up just because it's too hard to yeah, play. Yeah, it's physically the too thing. like the action's too high, or they get frustrated yeah. with just like other aspects or elements of it. It just not like oh, it won't stay yeah. in tune. Like my cousin bought a yeah. ukulele and she was aghast. I'm like, this thing it won't stay in tune. Like I, there's nothing. Like you, <laughs> this was a waste like, of money. This was a toy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. So like when it comes to like, for instance, if you've got guitars that they have twisted necks and they're unsalvageable, like, yeah, okay. You know, you can't do anything with that. You know, I mean, there's a certain level of stuff that you can do to try and like correct it. But generally speaking, once wood twists, it's probably going to just keep doing it. Um, and, but, you know, like, like, you know, well, one of the things that I 
that I always do and that I always tell people, Hey, this is a good idea to do. Like rather than destroying, like sometimes I'll have uh, banjo necks that mm-hmm. are just no good. Well, banjos are kind of nice. Cause you know, you're not dealing with like neck through or like set neck, you know, like on a, you're not dealing with like what you're dealing right. with on a Les Paul where it's a glued in neck and you might not be able to do much with it once it's bad. Um, but banjos are all, I mean, they're, they're like the ultimate, they're like the ultimate bolt together <laughs> instrument, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like everything is, everything is movable and replaceable and stuff. So, you know, um, a typical example for me, uh, when I get a banjo that's, that's has a bad neck on it or something, I do what I, I do what I can to try and save it. Um, and then at some point, if it becomes unsavable, you know, one thing that I do is I'll either keep the neck for myself to practice nice. repairs on, um, or, or I have a bunch of friends too that, you know, they just, they just do like, they're trying to get into repair work on their own. Or maybe I have a friend that just has like their own independent shop that they're doing repairs. Um, I might give it to them and say, Hey, you know, here's something you can like practice your finish work Aww. on or something. Yeah. Like that. That's smart. Um, you can practice so like fret that, work that's a, and all kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, when I was, when I was learning how to do like refrets and all that kind of stuff, I would just go to pawn shops and buy like the $50 <laughs> guitars. And, and I'm like, well, I don't care if I screw it up because it's just, now I'm out 50 bucks, but okay, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm learning a valuable skill in the process. So that's mm, kind of the way totally. I look at it. But so that's, that, that's one smart way that I think instruments can be repurposed. But I, yeah, I, I think, I think when you have, when you have like 400 guitars that are being destroyed, I mean, there's a couple of different ways that I kind of thought about this. I'm like, well, if you have that many guitars that have to be destroyed, that that really says something about your oh, yeah. quality control. Like, 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 is your quality control getting better if it's if you have that many that are being destroyed? Like, you know, because I mean, for us, we're at Deering, we're pushing out of significantly, uh, you know, significantly fewer instruments per week. We're we're putting out about two hundred a week, um, and that's that's between all that's all of our banjos. I mean, that includes the good timeline and mm-hmm. the upper lines. Um, but out of all of those, I would say, I would say we we only really ever have to destroy a banjo like I don't know, maybe a couple times a month. We might have one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, that need to be cut up. So yeah, to me, it's just, it's kind of concerning because it's like, well, what does that say about your quality control? On one hand, it's like, well, yeah, you know, we're, we're getting rid of these because they're not good enough. But on the other hand, it's like, well, are you taking your quality control and dealing with it? Or are you just kind of going, ah, just get rid of them and we'll just yeah, keep just going. Write it off as, as a loss, you know? And that's right. kind of, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I mean, don't know. And that kind of makes me wonder if they were really, stock on sellable guitars and it kind of makes me wonder if it was more mm-hmm. like the donny osmond records right yeah no i i thought exactly yeah. that i mean same thing. i mean and the thing is 
I also think that sometimes you have to destroy things that nobody wants. And just because it doesn't yeah. behoove you to keep them. I mean, I guess they could yeah. donate these yeah. guitars that nobody wanted, but it's clear that nobody wanted them. And maybe there was a reason for that. But uh, I used to work at a library yeah. and it's every, every couple months, I feel like I see some new story on Reddit where someone sees that a library is throwing away books and throws it complete tantrum like it does a total shit fit and Mm -hmm. like oh they're giving away (laughs) like they're throwing away all these copies of island of the blue dolphin or some really old nasty 1950s copy of huck Finn or something like that and or (laughs) some i worked at a, a school library really old scientific journals like that are not applicable mm-hmm. to today's life, old histories that were incorrect, or just things that no one has checked out of a library in 25 years. And people lose their minds mm-hmm. like, oh, you should donate this. The world doesn't need more copies of Island of the Blue Dolphins because you, like, people, when they need to buy their kids a book, I don't think enough people buy used. And so there's all these, like, right. you can get that book for 99 cents new. Like, nobody needs this book nobody needs more copies of lord of the flies like these don't need to exist (laughs) and i think what people really would have been aghast at and we did not video this for obvious reasons um you can't recycle you often can't recycle the covers of books so Hmm. we had to take box cutters and and cut out all the pages because we could recycle the pages then we'd throw out the covers it wasn't it but it wasn't to make sure nobody else enjoyed them it was because it was the only way right. to uh, ethically dispose of these books. Like this, right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and and that's the thing. It's like, well, you might you might lose the cover, but at least you can recycle the yeah. pages. So you're 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 renewing that resource. You know, it's like that's that can get that can get turned into yeah. other books that are that are actually going to you know, be of use to the world or hamster so, cage liner. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Paper mache. <laughs> Who knows? Ugh. Yeah. But that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, and I just look at what Gibson was doing and I'm thinking, I just really hope, like, I don't know what's going to happen to those bodies, but I hope something good comes of, you know, that, that resource. Cause yeah. I know I just, I don't want the gear industry to be more wasteful than it needs to be. I mean, it's already right. pretty wasteful. Yeah. There are more guitars out there than guitars by a lot. Yeah, yeah. So for that's sure. that's I'm sure always a struggle. Um, I just don't like seeing things get get thrown out. But you know, sometimes you just gotta lay a guitar to pasture, or put it up on the wall yeah. at a TGI yeah, Fridays sure. as decoration. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah, and that's you know you see plenty of that wrong too. With that. But you know, yeah. No, I mean, who doesn't like walking into a restaurant and seeing guitars hanging? Oh out? yeah. You know, you're you're more you're you know you're more likely you you know you're more likely to have a good time. You're like, oh yeah, this oh, is a rock and roll oh, place. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> it's like if somebody has a, has a tie with a bunch of guitars on it. Oh, that guy's real cool. That guy's yeah. got a guitar. He's got a guitar tie. <laughs> well, I remember like one of the coolest things that I saw was uh i don't know it was like my 25th birthday or something like that i went to uh my friends took me out to the to the hard rock you know 
the hard rock hotel, like restaurant thing. And they had, uh, they had Chris Cornell's black Telecaster that he smashed. Um, and it was the same Telecaster that he played on the, uh, on the uh, 1996, uh, season finale of, um, of, uh, of Saturday Night Live. So, yeah, so that was really cool because I was like, ah, I want to yes. touch it. That's how I feel. That's, what, that's how I felt when I was at the Hard Rock Cafe at the uh, uh, Mall of America in Minneapolis. They had some print stuff. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh so much man. print stuff. Uh, no, yeah. I'm never going to, never going to, never going to yeah. happen. I've touched, um, the, I like it when museums actually do let you touch those things. If you've ever been to the Louisville Slugger yeah. Museum in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, you actually can pick up a bat that was held by like, um, I think of a baseball player, not like Pete Rose, but someone who's actually in the Hall of Fame. Uh, ooh, who was it? Actually, yeah. I think they had a couple. I think I might have held Joey Votto's bat, which was really cool for me as a Reds fan. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. I thought so. Yeah, no, I, I, I like stuff like that. It's, I mean, it's, it's weird. Cause, um, I, I haven't really had any experiences where I've gotten to like hold instruments like that are in museums at all, but I've seen pictures of friends, like, like holding Stevie Ray Vaughan's Oof. Strat, you know, and I'm just like, dude, I mean, you, I know, you know what you have in your hands right there, but dude, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's the same guitar that you saw in like all these countless videos out there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the closest I've gotten to that is that, uh, I did some work on, um, I did some work on a John Hartford signature banjo that now belongs to, uh, one of our, one of our endorsing artists. Um, but, it was a gift to him. It originally belonged to, um, it originally belonged to the guy that was the original Mickey what? Mouse voice. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and, and on the 12th fret, um, uh, on the 12th fret, it has a silver, like an, like an actual silver, uh, Mickey Mouse. Oh, that's head amazing. And it's super cool. And it has a silver, um, uh, truss rod cover that's engraved with the Mickey mouse head logo. That's so funny. And, um, and I was like, dude, this is, this is super cool. Well, and the thing is that this particular artist is the son of a, of a very famous banjo okay. player. So, um, he's, uh, he's, he's, you know, he, I don't know. I don't remember the story of how he ended up with that banjo, but I, I just remember looking at it and going, this is really cool. Like, sitting here i'm not a very good yeah, banjo no. player i'm mm-hmm. good at repairing them but not good at playing them. but i'm sitting here playing this banjo that was that was played by the guy that did the mickey that's mouse's insane. voice like that's that's insane yeah it, well and it's cool too because it's like disneyland kind of has like you know there's there's always been like banjo kind of tied to disneyland there's all these like guys that that will that will play banjo like when you go into you know, if you go into Disneyland and there's like, I don't remember the name of the, the, the place, but there's all these like Dixieland jazz bands and stuff that are playing like, like old school, like New Orleans style music. So growing up, I always associated kind of like banjos were like, oh, I saw banjos mm-hmm. at Disneyland, you know, <laughs> like, so it's kind of, kind of a cool thing. Like, 
here I am in my late thirties, like getting to hold and play this banjo that Amazing. was played by that guy. It was pretty cool. So that's, that's the closest I've had to those experiences, but I don't know what I would do if I like was, was within, was within like a few feet of like, of like a, like Prince's guitar oh. or something like that. That would, I, I would be, I would be like, I would have to find a way to touch <laughs> they're, it. They're behind glass. They are. I don't want to get arrested. I know. I know. Apparently if you do the VIP tour, uh, you can get very close to his piano, but uh, they don't let you touch that anymore, <laughs> which I get it. I get it. I, oh, I, I get it. I totally get it yeah. because if you've like, you see statues like of St. Peter in Catholic churches, it's like where you, you touch his left mm-hmm. foot and then you get like years off purgatory or something. And, and like the one at the Vatican, I know they've had to replace that foot like four times. It's made of brass or something. Oh, it's just like people dang. like just rubbing it and kissing it. It just has literally worn the entire foot away. So that like four times worth of human. And that church That's has crazy. only existed since like, I think the 1200s. So Dang. that's like that just that just shows what happens when people a lot of people touch a thing. You want it you want it to still exist in like fifty years. Don't let people yeah. don't let everybody in the world touch it <laughs> with their grubby hands. Make them yep, wear gloves. Yep. I think I had to wear gloves when I was touching those baseball bats. So that's yeah, yeah. That would make that would make yeah, sense. I think so. You're gonna have to tell me who that banjo player is though, because if he's in Nashville, I might know him. You don't, um, you don't, you don't have to do it on okay, the podcast. Well, I, yeah 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 i i i i try to i try to be uh somewhat discreet about that kind of stuff um in terms of like i get i i respect that um, because not everybody is yeah eight years in nashville everybody anytime (laughs) they can get they name drop in nashville it's a very bad habit yeah oh yeah yeah i mean it's it's hard not to like you know, and oh, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you who the guy is. I just don't want to mention it like, yeah. like here. So, um, but, uh, the, the thing is like some of the artists I work with are like pretty high level guys and it, it can be really, it can be really, really tempting to just be like, Oh, Hey, I, you know, with this guy, like, you know, and, but it's kind of, I, I try not to do that too much just cause it, it's, you know. I don't like it when I see people yeah. doing it. So, you know, but it's hard though. It's hard. Like, especially when it's somebody you're a fan of and you get to like mm-hmm. work on their instrument, it's super cool. And you want to tell everybody about it, but I just, I just, you know, I, I like to, I just keep it, you know, like, Oh yeah. Quiet. I just, anyway. I just ran into Mac Minif- Matt Minifee and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> He's such a sweet guy. Yeah. Oh, it's such a sweetheart. Well, he well, is a sweetheart. You know what my, my record, favorite Matt Menifee is fantastic. <laughs> He's a very nice guy. <laughs> name dropping. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I just couldn't <laughs> jokingly name drop him without then affirming that he's a sweetheart. And so good yeah. at instruments. <laughs> All of <Yeah>. them. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. don't know if he's a daring artist, I know but right. he's the best banjo player I know. Yeah, I I haven't I haven't met him and I don't know if he plays our banjos, but yeah, that guy I can't remember who I can't remember who showed him to me, but I he yeah, he blew me he, away. Um, I know he was in Cadillac Sky. 
then he was doing Whistles and the Bells with Brian Simpson, also of Cadillac Sky. And now he and Brian Simpson have something mm. else called the Golden Age. And that, when, when, that, when that stuff drops, it's going to be good. Oh, it's going to be so nice. good. Yeah, that's cool. No, he's mm-hmm. he's really, really good. He's one of those players where you see him and you're just like, uh, you're either going to be inspired exactly. or you're going to quit. that's how stevie ray vaughn was for me when i was a kid (laughs) when i was when i was like 12 i I discovered stevie ray vaughn and i was like i was i had a second of Mm -hmm. i quit and then and then i was like no you know what i'm gonna keep going because that's how you you can't i'm never gonna get to that level you know but at the same time it's like you can't you know, that's how you get there. Is yeah. By not and quitting, like spending so. time and listening yeah. to people who are better than you. I today was playing with um, yeah. a woman named Susan Palmer in Seattle. And she is so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, she teaches good jazz guitar mm. professionally. And I'm just like, she's like, mm-hmm. take the solo. I'm like, I don't want to. I'm so scared. And then after a while, I'm like, well, I'm just going to watch what she's doing. And then like next time it's my turn, I'm going to try yeah. to do a little bit of what she was doing. And she did some things that were just so fun and so yeah. great. And uh, damn, it just feels good to to be showed up like that sometimes by someone that y- you love as a human. Oh, especially. yeah. Like, oh, yay. My friends are so good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, that's there's there's a lot of value in that because it's like one of the best ways that you can get better is by making sure that you're always surrounded by and people that are better And it's the best way to get smarter you. too. I always had a teacher who would say the yeah. best way to learn is to hang out with yep. people who are smarter than you. And it's true. Don't be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Well, if, I mean, it's very cool yeah. if you are the smartest person in the room, but don't feel like, <laughs> like anything like, I'm oh, sorry. I just got distracted by yeah. uh, chats. Uh, so my parents are, are taking a cross-country road trip uh, from South Carolina to up here in Seattle to see my brother and I and bring us some things. And, uh, yeah, so just, you know, nice. when when your parents text you and uh, they're on a road trip, you maybe would like to uh, just look at it, make sure that everything's still going good. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah. much of a worrier right now, but I... I I'm not much yeah. of a warrior in that kind of way. I don't know how you yeah, are sure. or how you've been with people, but like my parents or my mother, at least is the kind of person who, if you go on a road trip, she wants to know when you left and she wants you to call when you get there. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not like that at all. I, I mean, I guess it depends. Like, uh, my, <laughs> my wife used to work, a lot of nights like we used to have opposite schedules um yeah she was like in the restaurant industry and you know it's just a lot of like long nights and closing and stuff so um you know that was that was a thing where it was like well i wanted to know you know it if she was gone an extra like two hours and i hadn't heard from her it's like ah there's a level where it's like yeah i know it's just probably busy and she's but sometimes Mm -hmm. it would be like I just, I just want to hear, like, just send me a quick text and just be like, Hey, I'm fine. I'm just a little bit, yeah, I'm just no, a little I, bit that behind, I get you know? totally, but, but yeah, for the most part, I'm not, yeah. I'm not really like that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad yeah. that you guys are on, uh, 
more together schedules. That's nice. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, she she got a new mm. job like a year ago and our schedules are oh, literally exactly so the same now. So it's it's well, and that's the thing. It's it's like we've been married 10 years, together 15 years, and that entire time until a little less than a year ago now, we had opposite schedules. So we almost didn't even know what to do with that at first. We were like, what do we like? What do we do? Like we kept, yeah, we we kept thinking of like, we we kept feeling like pressure to like, oh, we have to come up with things to do. MasterChef. But that, yeah. And that's the thing. That's the funny thing. That's exactly what we do. And it's great. Now, now it's like we can binge watch Stranger Things together now. Yeah, are you caught up? No. When Rick was, um, my husband's (laughs) in coding, and for a while he was teaching at a coding academy, and uh, they went up to him and they're like, Mm -hmm. "So uh, we think we're going to move you to night classes in in the fall." And uh, he Mm -hmm. looked at his manager and said, "I think that would ruin my marriage." So uh, he got a new yeah. job and they appreciate him a lot more. I'm like, he's like, it's not like we have kids or anything, but to just like spring that on him without like a conversation mm-hmm. felt really uncool. Like, yeah, like, that's, that's he's married. Not he has cool. a wife. He's got a family. Like that's, yeah. It's one thing yeah. if he makes that decision and we have a conversation about it, but it was like, it's, you're doing this or you're not going right. to work here anymore. It's like, well, bye. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's that's like no that's no question. I'm gonna go I'm gonna gonna go with, with the, the yeah, side that's, that's not yeah. giving me ultimatums out of nowhere. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right. Well, and like that's un, that's unfair too. It's like what yeah, well th- one of the reasons that one of the reasons my wife made a career change is because that company she was working for uh was doing that kind of stuff after years of not doing mm. that. Like they were, they were never like that before. And then they just, they got some new managers that were just awful. And, and it just, you know, she, I mean, she'd been kicking ass for years at at that place. And it was like, uh, one day it just, just a new manager comes in and everything changes. And all of a sudden, you know, they don't care about her, her family life needs, you know? And, and it's like, yeah, we can we can deal with a certain degree of opposite scheduling. Yeah. Like we made it work, you know, um, and you know you just you find little times to like you know figure out how to how to do some stuff and have the quality time and everything like that. But it gets to a point where it's like you start to notice this is this is really affecting like the way that we're able mm-hmm. to connect with each other, and that's when we were like, yeah, eh, that was we it for, for Rick this. and I too. Just in general, this coding school, like he'd be uh at work really early and then he'd be grading assignments all night long like all night long and i worked you know full-time <laughs> job and then i did freelance work so i was also busy so for a while it was fine and then when it got to the point where like even though i was working late he was working later like i didn't know it was possible to see so little of a person you shared a studio loft apartment with but it was, and you know, uh-huh. uh, he changed jobs, and everything got better so quickly. Amazing. Yeah. Yes, but I think we've no, kind of gotten great. a little off track, and it's getting a little bit late. Uh, 
thanks so much for being on this episode. <laughs> uh, it's I, I hope it's given people a lot to talk about and think about with the Gibson stuff. And um, I hope everybody joins the Facebook group, Get Offset Podcast, and, you know, tell us what you think. I'll have a visual thread about this, which I think will mostly be uh, pictures of your whiskey and those two, those two Gibson videos. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, also, yeah. is there anything else you want to plug, say, before we peace out? Um, no, uh, I'm not that I can think of anyway, but, uh, yeah. yeah, thanks for having me on though. This is the, uh, this is, this has been a, a good, uh, oh, first I'm glad. podcast experience. I'm feel happy. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. uh, to everyone listening, yeah. thanks for listening and thanks for understanding. Uh, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.